0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. All right. In this episode of Mind
1: Pump, we get basic. Uh, a lot of people ask us the following question. What are the best exercises for blank body part? So here's what we did. We went through. We got all the major muscle groups. And we listed the top three or four exercises you should be doing for each of these body parts. There is a hierarchy of exercises. Some exercises are extremely effective at getting your body to change, at getting you to develop muscle, shape your body, um, at getting you stronger. And some exercises are just not nearly as effective. So we list the best movements, the ones that you should be doing every single week for each body part. Now, we also design programs around this. We have something called... MAPS mods. These are MAPS programs that are designed just for individual body parts. So let's say you're training your whole body, but your shoulders are lacking. You're not getting good development development in your shoulders. You can get a MAPS mod shoulder workout, take your current shoulder workout and replace it with the one that we wrote for shoulders and watch what happens. Now, at the moment, we have three mods that are out. There are more coming. We have a shoulder mod, a back mod, and a butt mod. You can find those at Maps mods. Com. Also, before we get into the episode, I want to remind everybody that our two most popular full programs, MAPS Prime and MAPS Prime Pro, are 50% off. MAPS Prime teaches you how to prime your body before your workouts to make your current workouts more effective. And Prime Pro is all about correctional exercise. Both of them 50% off. Here's what you do to get the discount. Go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code PRIME50, P-R-I-M-E 50 for the discount. What do you guys think is one of the most important things you should pick out or you should choose when trying to come up with like what you're going to do to to train your body, like your, your uh, workout?
2: You, you got to come up with some really good exercises, Hal. It's gonna be that. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you served that one right up to me. I did. It was like, oh, God, well, it's easy.
3: I, well, know, I think there's, I think there's several things that you have to take into consideration when choosing uh, a movement or an exercise, right? Yes. In other words. Uh, understanding what your adaptation is that you desire, right? So um, if I'm writing a program for somebody, for example, that is an athlete and they say to me, like, what's the best exercise for this muscle group versus somebody who is completely driven by aesthetics and they say, what is this? Uh, My answer might be different. Mm -hmm. It might be the same sometimes, but it might be different. And I think that's important to understand too because – you know, everybody has different goals, and not everybody cares just about the way their muscle looks and shaping. Mean, some people actually care a lot more and Just is a great example of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's when you see when I see him he work I mean, out look he at would... my body, <laughs> yeah, like when I see him work out like most exercises, Thanks, I think are terrible choices, but for him, they're not. I mean, they're actually really good choices because he cares more about function.
2: yeah, yeah
1: it's true. L- yeah, because an athlete will say they might not even say what's a good exercise for this body part. an athlete will be more like, what's a good exercise for this type of performance at a patient? I mm-hmm. want to get more powerful. I want more lateral uh, drive. I want I want more explosiveness uh, or stability. That's totally different. But the vast majority of people that work out, work out because they want to kind of change how their body looks. Um, now with that comes some performance. If you train your body to change its aesthetics, you do get improvements in movement and function. And because that's the, the vast majority of people, I think that'd be a good place to kind of start, right? The vast majority of people go to the gym and they do want to get stronger. They want to feel better, move better, but they largely want to kind of change how their body looks.
3: Well, I'd like to go through, uh, and I don't know if we've ever done something like this where we go through every muscle or every major muscle, I should say. We're gonna go through every muscle, we'll go through every major muscle, and you know, pick you know an exercise each that we think is the the most important exercise You're to get the most out of
2: it. Absolutely, yeah, and, and,
1: and and this is important. This is something that you need to understand: is there is a hierarchy of exercises. <laughs> they are definitely not created equal. In fact, if you compare the most effective exercises to the least effective exercises, the difference is dramatic. I mean, if you were to do some of the most effective chest exercises, you could expect to see significant improvements and changes in the way your chest looks and how it develops and how strong you are. If you do the least effective exercises, it's better than nothing, but it's not that much better than nothing. It's literally that big of a difference. This has to be one of the biggest issues that I have with poorly written workout programs, especially workout programs designed for women. They seem to do the best job at picking the worst exercises. Mm-hmm. I, I This is 100%. Yeah. And I think it's because the best exercises that are out there have the, there's this weird notion that surrounds them that they're they're only for guys, or that they're they build too much muscle, or they build a body just that's turning into a linebacker. Yeah, yeah. It, but that's not that's not true I at all. I wish I
3: could find an exercise that builds too much muscle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah,
3: that'd be amazing. God damn! Every time I do that barbell bench press, I just yeah. get my chest gets and, too big. And,
1: <laughs> and, you, and if that was the case, you would use them anyway because they would get your body. I mean, here's the case. Here's the deal with it: if an exercise was so effective that you could overdevelop your body, that's still the exercise you would start with. You would just at some point stop. You'd look in the mirror and be like, "Cool, two days of this super effective exercise." Yeah, so and I'll back off a little. I'm as far as I want to go.
3: Well, I think you have to you have to explain too, though, uh, before we get into the movements, because we're gonna we're gonna rattle off, and it'd be interesting. I'm curious to see if we debate some or we agree on a lot. I know there's gonna be obviously a lot that are because there's the obvious choice for many for many parts of the body. I mm-hmm. think but there why is that why would we not know what the other one's going to say but no but all agree on something what are the rules that make that a better exercise for example like one of the things i think that we've talked about on the show a lot that you know i didn't really start understanding until later in my career as a personal trainer is the the importance of a central nervous system mm. and and what a role that plays in in overall function, strength, and building muscle. And Mm -hmm. there are certain exercises that challenge the CNS a lot more than other exercises. And that's an important factor when you're thinking about uh, building muscle overall.
1: Yeah. And they tend to be big, gross motor movements, meaning they use a lot of muscles. Yeah. A lot of joints, but they're also, uh, they also allow you to, to apply a lot of load because, I could theoretically do create an exercise that involves every joint of my body all at once. Um, in fact, trainers did this a lot, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s. You'd see people do the squat like overhead press, like a squat press. curl, <laughs> yeah. you know, or squat row curl overhead press, or something weird yeah. like that. Be like, oh, we're working the whole body. Those exercises, although they do, they are big gross motor movements. They do use a lot of joints uh, of the body. They don't allow you to load a lot. You can't Mm -hmm. really uh, maximize your force because they're so complex and so difficult to do. That you're not, um, you're not, you're yeah, not. You need
2: to be hyper focused. Yeah. I mean, that's distracting uh, you from allowing uh, more of this force production to occur. So, alongside that, you need your joints to be, you know, feel stabilized. So, your body needs to feel stable in order to be able to even produce that amount of force, which then produces what you want, which is b- building more muscles, mm-hmm. giving you that signal to build more.
1: Now, the best exercises, the ones that are towards the top of the hierarchy of exercises, give you way more bang for your buck. In other words, you just get way more out of the time being spent doing them than you would with other exercises. I could make the case that the top two or three exercises for a body part would give you better results than the following five or six exercises on the hierarchy would. Um, and, and so you spend less time. You would be you'd spend less time in the gym and you get more results. And sometimes you can't even make up uh, what those exercises can do with a bunch of other crappy exercises. So that's and I'm, what I'm trying to do right now is communicate just how important it is that you pick the most effective exercises when you're doing your, your workouts. Here's the other thing about effective exercises they they allow you to develop skill with them over long periods of time. Um, for example, we talk a lot about barbell squats. Barbell squats could take you years to perf- perfect. That's another one of the benefits of doing a barbell squat is you can keep doing it and you don't have to change it mm-hmm. like you would with other exercises frequently because the body continues to adapt, continues to get stronger, continues to build muscle. The other thing is range of motion. Some exercises, one of the reasons that makes them effective is they allow for a really nice, deep range of motion. I just talked about the barbell squat. Barbell squat and a leg press both involve the hip joint, both involve the knee joint, both involve the ankle joint. Both, are allow, both allow you to really load them heavily. But if you look at the range of motion of both exercises, mm-hmm. a squat has a much deeper range of motion, both at the hips and the knees and the ankles. And so that's one of the factors that makes a barbell squat, for example, more effective. Plus
2: there's more to stabilize with the barbell squat, which is you know added intensity, louder signal, and you get more out of that.
1: That's true, and, and that brings me to another point. Free weights, typically, uh, if we were to pick the best exercises, I bet you most, or not if not all of the exercises we pick – per body part or free weight based exercises. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we're not going to pick any machine. Now that's not to say that machines aren't there aren't some machine exercises that are up there, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they're the best.
3: Now I love this topic too because when I think back to my own lifting career, um, one of the mistakes that I did for a long time was falling in that trap I think is that a lot of trainers do when you start to learn uh exercises and creating, you know, funny weird stuff, you know, we yeah. were somebody tagged me yesterday on the you know, the leg press, shoulder press exercise, Oh, you know, I've seen that. Right. Yeah. Just you're
1: literally upside down on leg press and you're using it to do a shoulder. Yeah. Just, you know, (laughs) trying people are getting
3: bored. Right. You, you (laughs) all, you learn, uh, you learn a little bit, uh, about mechanics and then all of a sudden you start, you know, making up weird shit. You become MacGyver. Right. And what ends up happening is you start doing all these weird crafty exercises and you start to uh, miss the ones that are giving you the biggest bang for your buck. And I was definitely somebody like this. I for sure was – and and for me, like the way I justified it as a trainer was I remember being in the gym and and knowing that when I did something weird – it it got the attention of the members mm. and it would always get a member to walk over to me and be like, hey, what are you doing? And then I would try and sound real smart while I was using this weird machine for this reason that would lead into a possible, you know, appointment that I could book them and then sell them on how I could help them. So, you know, that I kind of fell into that trap for a long time of, you know, trying to be so creative with my workouts, but I was missing the biggest rocks. Mm-hmm. And I remember when that really sank in for me, and this was probably about three years or so before we all got together, did that start to come together for me where I was like, man, what what was I doing all those years, all these weird exercises in the gym for an hour and a half, and you know, I could be in the gym for half the amount of time with these movements that are giving me way more return and and get as much or more results than what I was doing, spending an hour and a half in there doing all these other ones. And I see this a lot, yeah. and it's easy because it's easy to fall in this trap because all the other exercises, even though they're creative and they look cool, are easier to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and to master. You know, getting on a or uh,
1: you feel them.
3: Yeah, That's right. That's Another one. Right, right. So they're so I think uh, one of the reasons why people avoid some of the best movements that you should be doing is because they are challenging.
2: Yeah, and they're mundane too because like you really do have to work at those specific exercises a long period of time. It's a skill that you acquire. It's something that you you need to constantly improve in to a lot of people, like working on the same thing week after week becomes, you know, it's just mentally tough. And mm-hmm. so that's another thing that, that, uh, you know, a lot of marketing has been put into trying to make it look cool, ex- exciting, something new, something new to try. Like it's an experience instead of something that actually is going to give you like tangible results.
1: Right. Now here's something before we get into the, some some of the exercises per body part, um, I do want to be clear because there is a hierarchy of exercises and there are exercises that are way more generally effective. That does not mean that uh, other exercises are useless, okay? Uh, Depending on the situation and the application, some exercises that are typically not ones that I would use all of a sudden can become very valuable. Sure. Some exercises, for example, for correctional exercise purposes, um, they may be terrible at developing overall strength and muscle and shape and aesthetics uh, and even performance – But when it comes to correcting muscle imbalances or function, they can be phenomenal.
3: Oh, like an example of that, I just put it in my story maybe two weeks ago. Uh, You know, doing prone cobras on a stability ball is not going to build me massive shoulders or a back. No, but in in a very, very important movement to counter my upper cross syndrome that I have going on. So, you know, that that's a perfect example of. You know, we don't, we're not going to shit on somebody doing a movement like that inside the gym because you don't know the reason why that person is doing that. And mm-hmm. it could have a lot of value to what they're trying to address. So that's a very good point that you bring up, Sal. It doesn't mean that you neglect some of these other movements that may seem mundane or silly or like, oh, that's not going to build a lot of muscle. It's not always about... Building the most amount of muscle. Sometimes we're also trying to correct. Like, you may be working your way back towards those exercises.
2: Right.
1: right now, that being said, for the purpose and sake of this podcast, the context is: what are the most effective general exercises for developing strength, function, aesthetics, and shape? So we got to kind of we'll stick to that kind of category because we could also go through and talk about the most correctional exercise movements, the best movements for power, and all that stuff. But let's talk in generalities in terms of like the average person. The average person wants to go to the gym, develop a nice body, a balanced body. They want good results. They want faster results. And they don't want to waste time in the gym. So mm-hmm. I think in that kind of context, uh, that'll kind of help us pick. The, otherwise, we'll be here all day yeah, talking sure. about exercise. Well, so
3: each each guy add one then. So we'll go through like a muscle. So we'll start off with chest.
2: Chest. Let's okay, do chest This first. will be easy.
1: Yeah. Why don't you go first, Justin? Yeah, it's bench
2: press. I mean, it's, that's silly. Like, <laughs> yeah. why, why would we not do the bench press? I mean, that's it for in terms of like chest and being able to have like everything uh you know in a stabilized position where i can i can load heavy you know that's going to give you the most bang for your buck
1: yeah and in the bench press really gained popularity i would say after bodybuilding started to get a little bit of popularity in the 70s that's really when it started to to come out now before way back in the day strong men um, and strength athletes didn't do a lot of bench press they didn't have benches to do this, and the first guys to do this would have to clean the barbell, lay down on a bench, and then do it, mm-hmm. then eventually thought someone thought hey why don 't we put a rack above the bench because it 's so hard to clean how much you can bench press why don 't we put a rack up there and then see what happens and Before you know it, these guys were developing incredible chest muscles it, it just allows you to load the bar. It's stable like you said Justin. You press the bar, you can get really strong at bench press. Yeah, you can get ground
2: forces you, with your legs. Like I know a lot of people like don't realize how much more you can get out of that exercise when you incorporate, you know, your your leg drive mm-hmm. and you get your core involved, you get in the right position where your shoulders are fully retracted, you get, you know, that nice open position. It's very much a back fo- or a, a chest focused exercise. Yeah. Now,
3: along those lines, I feel like um, and it, and I would argue that you're right. That this is probably the superior exercise, but I, I I have to add in there a dumbbell press to complement that, even though they're so similar, and the barbell is probably a little sup- more superior. Uh, in terms of building overall mass because you can load it more. Mm-hmm. But I also see a ton of value in that because the, the dumbbell press isn't that far behind that. And because you're having to stabilize it independently, mm-hmm. one, you could still load it pretty damn heavy. I mean, you can hit- You can get really good at that. Yeah, right? You can, and And I find with the barbell press, when training clients- um, a lot of times there is some sort of an imbalance or a, totally. st- a strength. It, it dis- highlights that right away. right? A strength discrepancy on one side or no, on one side or the other, which is really, really common. It's mm-hmm. not uh, most everybody is right or left-handed, uh, which causes you to be kind of rolled forward a little bit more on one side or the other. If you don't know that, don't know how to address that, you get right under a bench press. It's inevitable one side tends mm-hmm. to carry more of the load than mm-hmm. the other. One of the best things that you can do to kind of negate that is including a dumbbell press. So I have to say that a dumbbell press, I would, I would argue, is right up there with a barbell, plus pinch. the range well, of motion, right? Yeah,
2: and functionally, like I, I like any exercise where we include a little more instability to the joint. Yeah, to the yeah. joint to make sure that uh, you have proper, uh, you know, muscles in place to to be able to compensate for mm. that uh, those forces that are opposing.
1: Plus you. Plus the range of motion with a dumbbell chest press. You yeah, can, go much deeper. You can go deeper. Um, you have to have healthy shoulders and have good positioning to be able to do this. But you just get a little bit of a stretch at the bottom, which you can't kind of do. With a barbell. Now, I have a, an exercise that I want to pick for this that I think. Well, there's, there's
3: also something else about the dumbbell press before you move to yours that sure. I think is important. Also, is this is, it, it? It does. It allows you to position your 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 elbows in a in a uh, much more individualized position, right? Like you're going to see some people will have more of a natural flare or less of a flare, and I think it just really you can you can conform it to your body versus a barbell, you're kind of in a-, a You're a, fixed. Yeah, you're yeah. in a more fixed position. So when I think of training clients and the people, the average person that I have to help, um, the, the dumbbell press for that reason, I think yeah. also- is- Well,
1: the elbow follows the hand. Um, so because the range of motion, a lot of people think more range of motion than <laughs> dumbbell press is because you can go lower. That's part of it. The other one's because when you come up to the top- the elbows come together closer, typically, unless you're using mm. massive 200-pound mm-hmm. dumbbells. Right. You're going to get a greater range so you of motion. You're more squeezer at the top. You are. So I do want to pick another exercise that I think, although generally speaking isn't as good uh, as the barbell bench press for overall muscle, overall size and strength, I think aesthetically, though, this next exercise is superior, and that's the incline barbell press. Ooh, this one's near and dear to me. And I think it's superior aesthetically because a well-developed Upper chest always looks good, Mm. and now women in particular. Because women typically, you know, you go to the beach, unless you're in depending where you're at, most women wear a bikini top. It's the upper chest that you can see, it's also the upper chest that tends to cause lift in the breasts. And this is actually a real thing, uh, ladies. If you work out your upper chest, you will notice that your boobs seem to come up a little higher, and that's because the upper chest develops and it pulls things up a little bit. And then for men. You know, you don't want that lower chest kind of saggy look to your pecs. Upper chest work with like an incline press yeah, offsets sad. that. It's just aesthetically speaking, I think it's a superior exercise. I think if all you ever did were incline barbell <clears throat> presses, you'd probably have a nicer looking chest. Maybe not as much muscle, but nicer looking. And like a universe. lot of
3: this is because the way uh, the the chest is shaped in comparison to most of it. It has like this fan look to it, right? The right. way that the chest is, the origin and insertion of the chest muscle. So it really does make a big difference. The difference A lot of people would think that, well, isn't the, the flat bench and the incline bench almost exactly the same thing? You're just angled a little bit different. But because the way that muscle is shaped, it does make a major difference.
1: Yeah, it attaches all up along the sternum. And so you can work more lower, more mid, and more upper chest. Some some muscles you can't. Like, I can't take my bicep and work the lower and the upper. That's why I wanted to right. point that out. Because right, that's,
3: right. you'll get... Your that, that kind of contradicts some of the theories with other muscle groups, like the bicep, for example. That's where you hear right. Go, oh, this is the outer bicep. This is the peak of the bicep. It's like, no, that muscle doesn't work that way. It's totally. a very it's a well. Very- and
2: plus, you bring up a lot of times on the podcast, like it, it's it brings you into an ideal position with your shoulders to retract. I know sometimes that's Love a that. hard. You know, uh, that's something hard for a position to get into for some people that have issues with mobility with their shoulders. So this helps to kind of like place you in a proper position, get your chest. Uh, uh,
3: more in that wide uh, start position. That's totally. an excellent point. That's another reason why I actually lean towards the incline press for my average client. It's first. easier to teach, isn't it? It is easier to teach mm-hmm. because of the importance of retracting and depressing the shoulders, right? When you go to do a chest press, that's so important so that the shoulders and the triceps don't take over the movement. But when you're on a flat bench and you don't understand that, it just kind of naturally pushes the shoulders forward. And people have, and this is why a lot of times people hear clicking, mm-hmm. you know, the clicking in their shoulder when they're doing a bench press or they, it just doesn't feel it's right. It's not so tracking properly. Yeah, it's not tracking properly because you're not able to retract and depress very well. And, of course, ideally we know we would, we would prime that person and that would really help that. But another thing that really helps somebody is just by putting them in an incline, that, that angle of about a 30 to 45 degree bench naturally lets the shoulders want to sink down and back. It's easier to teach that. And so when I get my clients to understand that from the incline, it's mm-hmm. easier then to bring them over to a barbell. Right. Bench
1: so every week when you work at your chest, you should be doing one or all of these exercises. All right, so back. Let's move to back.
3: Well, what about before we move from chest, though, what about the the argument, though, for uh, an isolation type of movement like a, a chest fly, though?
1: Well, mm. so here's the argument for that. Now, if we are going to pick another exercise, I would throw in an isolation movement. And there's a couple different reasons why. First off, the, the muscle function. Now, the chest, the function of the chest, it's doing the same thing with a fly as it is with the bench press. So so you could look at it and be like, well, it's the same thing. Why You're would extending I? Extending your lever. Right? Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm still getting my humerus, which is my upper arm, is going from one position to coming more towards the center line of my body, whether I'm doing a fly or a press. But it's way more complicated than that. There's a connection to between your chest and your triceps, which are both pressing, and then there's one that you can create between your chest and your biceps, which is what tends to happen with the fly, fly. Mm. the lever also tends to be lengthened because when I'm doing a fly, I have more of an open arm. It's just a different movement, and mm. you're and I think you're right, Adam. I don't think a chest workout would be complete without a some type of a fly. My my favorite is a dumbbell fly. Right, and obviously you're not going to be able to load that quite substantially, you know. Which is probably comparison.
3: why probably why I didn't make our top three. Yeah, right? sure. that's the only because I'm sure there's somebody who understands exercise and is going like, how do they not? pick a chest fly to go in there. Well, when, when we're talking about the biggest bang for your buck and we only have three that we can pick, um, it's it's hard to not include the three that we did put in there. Yep. But you could make a very good case for an isolation movement like the chest fly.
1: Especially case. if you're doing like two of the top three and then you want to pick a third exercise and it's all in the same workout. Right. right? Then you could throw flying. fly in. But here's my argument, right? You could only ever do incline barbell presses and you could only ever do dumbbell flies the person doing the presses will have a more impressive looking Agreed. chest and upper body. Agreed. But if you have to throw it in, if you're going to throw in another one, a, a dumbbell fly. Now definitely. I don't know
2: if we want to talk about it. I know there's some functional camps out there that avoid chest presses like entirely and just you know stick with overhead pressing oh, right. from a functional perspective. We don't need to get in the weeds with that. But you know when you're stacking up your priorities, if I'm like super functionally driven and sport specific you know there's there's cases that you could try and argue uh, in terms of like which which exercise are gonna be, bring you the most value
1: yeah that's a good point depending on your sport you may actually do none of those exercises right. but in this case we're talking about developing the body in which case those are great exercises all right so back now we can move to back um, now I'm gonna uh, you got, obviously I'm gonna try and pick the deadlift here now the deadlift isn't a, a specific back exercise in reality the deadlift is a hip <coughs> exercise. It's a hip hinging type of a movement. There's some knee flexion going on. um, But it still is one of the best back developing exercises I've ever done and I've ever seen any client ever do. And if you look at anybody who has a well-developed back, Oftentimes the deadlifts are part of it
3: Well this also hi- this highlights the importance of the uh, isolation. It's probably the, the heaviest you can load in uh, an, an isolate like an isolated exercise right It's not isolated and the, the rest of the body is moving but the back is kind of isolated right mm-hmm. You're keeping the back in this, this rigid position and you' some people are able to load that with three, four, five hundred pounds. What other exercise can you think of? Where you put uh, you put a part of your body in an, in an isolated position like that and load it that heavy well, a, into it, a movement.
1: You're looking at just the the muscles that stabilize the spine are in that isolated kind of kind of tense uh, position, but the lats are actually quite active. The rhomboids are actually quite when you're coming out from a heavy deadlift. Um, And then you're coming up to the top. Your lats are quite active. Now, it's not this full range of motion. It's just
2: a short range of motion is is the main thing.
1: Yes, but you're loaded so much that – and so much weight is – and it's such a functional exercise. It just develops an incredible back. It always, almost always does. And by itself, it has to be one of the most uh, effective exercises you could do for your back. And I know even our our head trainer, Danny, tends to argue with us on this. But I'll say this. I think Danny would probably put the deadlift in the top three – I think you probably at least put it up in the top three. Well,
3: I know for me it it was a it was a game changer because I wasn't a big deadlifter, um, but I loved to train back. Mm -hmm. I was great at seated row. I love lap pull down. I love rows. Like I love barbell rows, T bar rows. I loved all those exercises and loved training back and had a pretty good back, uh, and just was not a big deadlifter. But boy, the biggest gains I'd ever seen was when I started deadlifting. And when I started deadlifting, it took my back to a whole nother. And there's something to be said. And this is why I brought up early on when we first started this conversation about CNS. And this was something that I remember firsthand. Like it blew my fucking mind when I decided. And this didn't happen until I was 30. I decided I'm going to go like on this deadlifting kick. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to be the guy who's going around doing muscle confusion and all these different exercises. And a back workout consisted of six different movements. I'm just gonna deadlift. I'm gonna. And at that time, it was actually chasing Sal and his uh, where he was deadlifting. And I'm like, you know what? I've never really tried to improve my deadlifting and really try and jump. It was like it's. It would intermittently make it into my workouts, but very rarely. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to really go after this. So I was training, I was deadlifting two to three times a week, every week for well over a year and a half, two years straight. And I completely eliminated a lot of the other isolation stuff that I was doing. I wasn't doing any more seated row, which I think is an incredible exercise still, but I didn't care. I was like all about the deadlift. And I'll never forget after a year of doing that, Deciding, oh, let me let me throw some CD row in there just to kind of you know see where I'm at. I wonder how much strength I had lost. I absolutely thought for sure because you hadn't practiced it. Yeah, because I knew I hadn't done. It. I'm no dummy. I know any movement that I haven't done for a year, and then I go back to doing it. Typically, I'm I'm a lot weaker than what I was when I've been consistently doing it every my routine for a long long time. And what freaked me out. I mean, you got to remember, I've been doing this for a really long time and I hadn't, this had not happened to me before. I went back to this seated row and not only did I not lose a ton of strength, but I was stronger in the seated row more than I ever was in my entire life. A movement that I had watched myself since I was 18 years old, you know, progress up 10 or 15 pounds more, 10 or 15 pounds more, 10 or 15 pounds more every year, over year, over year, over year. All of a sudden I don't do it for a year. And I come back to it and I'm fucking stronger than I've ever been and Mm -hmm. significantly Mm -hmm. stronger. Like I'd made a leap that I'd never made in a year's time. And that was kind of the light bulb for me. Like, holy shit, the value of the deadlift. And because it's not a major... Range of motion thing, and that's the argument that the bodybuilder type of community will go like, "Oh, how can you say the deadlift is such a great exercise for the back when you're not even taking any of the muscles through its fullest range of motion, and you could load a part of the back and isolate it with other movements so much better?" But I think it's such a overall back movement, and 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 the heavy isolation part of yeah. it that I'm talking about, that your spine having to be, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a neutral position while you load. 400 plus pounds, that's where it came from.
2: It's like you stretch the capacity a bit further for those natural governing systems in your body to limit the amount... That you a force that you can produce, and so you know to to be able to focus and and hyper focus on picking something really heavy off the ground, you can load a lot more substantially than a lot of these other isolated like exercises. Now, all of a sudden, you know your your ability to produce more force, even on those isolated exercises, increases. Well, huge
3: difference. I mean, pull ups got easier, seated row got easier, everything got easier.
2: Isn't it
1: wild? Like if you and here's the thing: if you're into bodybuilding, look at bodybuilders. Who Started out as powerlifters, all of them have amazing backs. Every yeah. single one. Ronnie Coleman, who's widely regarded as the greatest Mr. Olympia of all time, was a tremendous deadlifter. Um, tremendous. Then our friend, who now just competed in ben uh, physique, Ben Pollock. Now he would do and power and powerlifters oftentimes do you know auxiliary what they would consider auxiliary back exercises like rows and and, and pull downs, but they're not like working them hard. That's like a very minimal amount of volume. Most of the volume on their back is done with through deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Look at his back. Yeah. He, has a, he has an almost pro-level bodybuilder. Forget physique or forget a classic. His back is a standout body part, and it came from those deadlifts. So the argument that, you know, I think we made the case, right? Deadlifts have to be one of the top exercises, in my opinion, number one. All right. What else? What are some good back exercises? You got to have so? you
3: got to have a row in there. So you yeah. have to have some sort in of, a, a, a bar, a barbell or a T bar. Either one to me has to be a staple. Absolutely,
1: movement absolutely. I love the barbell row. You have to support yourself while you're bending over, so you still have to involve the the hips and the low back muscles to stabilize. Mm-hmm. It's great for your lats. It's great for the rhomboids and the traps. It develops amazing looking backs, and it's also very functional in the sense that. You know, a lot of people have a lot of issues with their shoulders rolling forward. It's just a common issue, especially in modern times. A barbell row done properly counters that better mm-hmm. than uh, a lot of other pull-down type exercises, right. which there's nothing wrong with those movements either, right. but they don't really correct some of the bad problems that we tend to develop. Now,
2: do you prefer overhand grip or a supinated
1: grip? I like over. If I have to pick, now they're both good. Right. But if I have to pick, it's going to be overhand. It seems more functional to me. We tend to grab things more with an overhand or neutral grip. Yeah. Very rarely do we grab things with, with a really supinated grip. Um, but I know a lot of bodybuilders like that. And honestly, I think we're splitting hairs. Yeah. I think if they're you're
2: just doing, trying to highlight more the function of the bicep and incorporate it.
1: Yeah. And it changes the elbow positioning a little bit, like a reverse grip squeezes the elbows in at your side. So it changes the feel. But honestly, they're all barbell rows. I would consider them all super effective. Got to keep them up there. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a pull up? What about a good old-fashioned oh, yeah. pull-up? That's got to be one of the best body weight exercises ever. 100%.
3: And it's one of those ones, too, that we all tend to avoid because most people suck at it. It's yeah. <laughs>
2: hard. Yeah. I,
3: I remember this in my career, too. Another another big leap that I made in my back was, uh, I, did, I don't know where, what I was reading. You know, I read some article or magazine thing. Who knows what it was, but... You know, somebody talked about like starting every back workout with pull-ups, Oof. and it was and it was really it was just fifty pull-ups. It was like you know, every, oh, do as
1: many as you can. Yeah, I, I remember I read that. Yeah, also, the I don't thing.
3: remember where I, where it was, but I got on this kick for a year where it's like okay, every back workout, like clockwork, I started it with fifty pull-ups, and it started off where I was doing you know sets of eight to ten, you know, and took me, but it got to the point where I was repping over twenty something pull-ups straight and st- like strict, not fucking kipping. CrossFit pull-ups. <laughs> like real, real pull-ups. Thank ups. you for clarifying. Real yeah. pull-ups, you know, all the way up, all the way down. And man, I tell you what, I saw huge, huge gains in my back from doing that. And I just and it's a it's a different type of strength too when you when you get really strong in a in a, in a body weight type of movement like mm, that. Mm-hmm. And, if, and I would feel great. So it's one of those it was one of those things in my career. And I want to say it was in my late twenties or so when I, I started to do this and that became something that I was like, okay, I'll never neglect. Uh, pull ups before, and it was you, Sal, who was big on the the loaded pull ups. Yeah, and I, weighted. And I used to never, you know, I was always doing pull ups for reps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I met you, I started doing more weighted pull ups, and I actually saw huge gains in doing. Three to five reps oh, of yeah. pull-ups, and did would, would ne- reps, yeah, would have, would have never thought to do that with pull-ups. You know, I was always it was always whenever us trainers were doing pull-ups, it was like, how many can you do? It was mm-hmm. always how how many you could do, it was never how much weight you could lift. Yeah, right? and we weren't really doing it to load and see how how strong yeah. we can get or how much weight we could pull, and that was a big game changer too. Was I started going okay? I'm not really worried about getting 15, 20 reps of these pull-ups. Let's see how heavy I can load it, and even if I can only get two to five reps and started to implement that in my opinion, man, great gains from totally. that also.
1: Now, there needs to be an honorable mention here, and mainly because I learned how to do this the following exercise as a, as a kid, and I fell in love with it, and I don't know of any other exercise that really trains this kind of movement, which is a natural. Uh, in, in fact, I would even argue is close to a, one of the most fundamental movements that humans are good at, which is throwing, which is this kind of overhead movement from you know behind the body to the front of the body. That's a pullover. I love pullovers, mm-hmm. dumbbell pullovers, machine pullovers, barbell pullovers, more of an isolation movement. Uh, can't compare with a barbell row or a deadlift or a pull up, but if you're gonna throw in an isolation movement for your back, make it some kind of a pullover. Damn, well, if, you, if
3: you say that, I feel like you can't leave out then a one arm row for the, and you talk about things that are functional and so important yeah. for the rotational reasons. Yeah, yes. that's true. Because that's walking. Really? I mean, the, the you you to be able to uh, contralateral, yes. stability, yes, and also for over just overall protecting you in that that it's such a compromising position. I don't know how many clients have you guys had. It's always a, a, a client rotating to pick the soap up, or they're out gardening and they they rotate to the right, and it's such a basic. Movement. That's but,
1: like that's got to be the most common way people hurt their back on accident. Right. It's twisting. Yeah. Twisting. twisting. It's twisting. Twisting and bending. Yeah. Twisting.
3: Right. Twisting and just being. And it's ne- it rarely ever is like they oh they were you know lifting five hundred pounds and they hurt their threw their back out. That's more rare. It's more common.
1: Yeah. Reaching for the Cheerios behind the yeah, seat. Yeah. And whatever. they
3: just or reaching back to do something with their kid and they tweak <laughs> something. Mm-hmm. It's like. These are this is such a functional Slap. movement that you should be able to do. And I think the uh, single dumbbell row is one of the best movements that you can to protect the spine. Mm-hmm. You can protect the back and you can create and you can do it as a, a strength rotational movement, so where you actually throw some rotation in it when you do it and then it could be a anti-rotational movement where you stay in a very fixed position and you row both are incredible and if you're going to drop in something like a pullover for like shoulder health and that and the importance of throwing I feel like I have to I have to give an honorable mention then to something like that because Those are I, good. that exercise carries so yeah, much Yeah I'm not going to
1: debate that I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. All right, shoulders. Let's move to shoulders. Uh the best exercise if you have to pick one For me, and this was a tough one because there's a couple exercises and it was hard for me to kind of pick, but I would say overall, bang for your buck, muscle strength development, good old fashioned standing, not seated, standing barbell overhead press done properly. Not the barbell overhead press I see in the gym where people bring the bar down to like their nose or eye level. I mean, a full barbell press, barbell comes down to the upper chest, elbows under the hands, press it all the way up. Head comes through, so it's full extension. Mm. Um, I would argue that an overhead press is one of the, if not the most functional upper body exercise I would even outrank, that would even outrank the bench press, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think an overhead press is a better overall measure of your upper body strength. And, and some people say the bench press is a squat for the upper body. I disagree. Mm. I think it's the overhead press, the barbell overhead press. So my my not my challenge to that, but
3: where I would go first with a client is... Um, is a Z press and this was not something that was introduced to me till way later. I my, learned this like four years <laughs> ago. Yeah, <laughs> and has become a, a staple movement in my own programming, a, a staple movement in a, in a shoulder exercise that I teach every client. It's the great equalizer. It really is, and, and yes, I know that you can definitely do a lot. You can load more of a standing overhead press because you have the, your legs, right? Your legs are grounded, and you can use a little bit of momentum. You have leg drive that you can get out of that to Get. So you could definitely build more muscle with a, a standing arm, but that is one also one of the most compromising exercises. That's like can be dangerous for somebody who has bad mechanics. And the Z-Press really, I think, it lays, forces you to. Yes, it lays the foundation for a client on how to do it. So I personally, like I talked about the incline press, I would teach before I taught a barbell press with a client. I would also now teach a Z-Press first before I taught an overhead press, because you get a client to mm. do a Z-Press really well. Not only will they build great shoulders from that and teach, uh, and teach them and to learn how to press correctly, but man, when they learn that first and then you take them to an overhead press, I've just I've seen so many more benefits. Oh, you really have to nail down the bracing. Uh,
2: mechanism part of that lift like with the z press it it really emphasizes the importance of being able to brace your spine and and press this weight overhead which is everything in an overhead press if you don't master that don't even bother pressing something over your head so i can agree with that in terms of uh you know importance functionally uh but in terms of like overall uh, muscle development and strength i would definitely like Mm -hmm. highlight the overhead press but one thing that the shoulder is 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 This is a joint that has a lot of different functions. This has, you know, many different directions, many different options. It's one uh, of the most mobile joints in the body. So the rotation is a humongous part of that mm-hmm. entire process. So I have to include like a, a kettlebell rotational press in there, uh, you know, where you can, the, the loading of it is nice because it actually loads on the outside of your arm and it gives you a different feel than, say, your dumbbells, which with, comparable to that is like an Arnold press. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could say like equivalent wise, like those two exercises, like I have to incorporate those in basically whatever I'm doing in order to maintain shoulder health and stability.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that whole full range of motion, it's that rotation. And you know the the shoulder is made up of many of a few different joints. And a lot of people don't realize that part of the the beauty of a good overhead press is that full extension at the top. You'll see a lot of people press up above their head and they'll look at their hands and they'll arch their back to look up. That's not full extension. Full extension, your arms come up next to your head you're getting that full extension. The scapula is coming down and back a little bit. You're getting this huge range of motion. I think that's where a lot of the benefit kind of comes from when you're doing a overhead press. But the Arnold press or the kettlebell press, it really ex- exemplifies that rotation, exemplifies that extension. So It's just a fuller range of motion.
3: No, I think that we would all agree on that with the shoulders. I also have to – I love sharing the things that were just big game changers for myself because, I you know, it's – when we've been training and been training clients for a long period of time, you would think some of these things I would have figured out a lot earlier and sometimes this it took eight years, ten years before something like got pieced together for me and like this light bulb went off I was like, holy shit. So I love sharing those things because I feel like there's got to be there's guy if I had this issue and I didn't piece this together today there's gotta be people that are listening right now that consider themselves advanced lifters or understand exercise really well. Uh, that might be missing this, and that was uh, rear delt flies. Oh yeah. And the reason why this this movement was such a game changer for me, well, two major ones. One, uh, most people perform it incorrectly. Uh, most people do a, a rear like a rear fly on a pec deck, or they do the dumbbells, and they get a lot of their traps and wrong. It's a back exercise, right? They, they they end up letting the bigger muscles take over because of poor mechanics. Now we have a. I know our, our, our mod addresses this. I know that we have a YouTube video on this to show the mechanics, the importance of the shoulder staying rolled forward. But when you're talking about building shoulders, part of building and sculpting the shoulder is understanding that there, there's three parts to the shoulder. And maybe one of the most neglected is the rear delt. We do everything in the front of us. So the, mm-hmm. the anterior is pretty basic. The lateral, you can only load that so much and that's a smaller part of the shoulder. And
1: it's pretty active on overhead presses. Right.
3: But the rear delt gets... Uh, doesn't get as much attention, and when I started to piece this together, and I and I did, I went on. There's another one of these things where when, once the light bulb went off, I said, "Okay, now every shoulder extra, every shoulder day, I would start with rear delt stuff, rear, rear delt." And man, it just brought that that spade look to my shoulder. It gave me this full developed shoulder. And it made my my upper body look so much more massive. When I this this, was to me uh, a staple in in my success in competing on stage because it really gives that illusion of a, a big wide back and broad shoulders, and just really brings the shoulder out. So even though the rear delt. Fly is an isolation movement and a and a small movement. I feel like if you're listening and you're into sculpting the body, and this is another one for my ladies, man. I love this, this one- gives their
1: whole arm oh, an amazing.
3: Look. When I started coaching Melissa, which is the last client that I coached in, in women's bikini category, our our ma- major focus was hamstrings and rear delts, two areas of focus that I think makes a huge difference, especially on my women client women clients, and bringing the shoulder out and And shaping it really well, like that man, it makes the whole arm look amazing. Yeah,
1: aesthetically speaking, I would agree with you. I think the rear fly dumbbell or pec deck, but I, I prefer dumbbell. I would say that that has to be one of the the top exercises just from an aesthetic perspective because all overhead presses as effective as they are, they don't really work the rear the rear deltoids at all. So right. all you ever did was an overhead press, although you would gen you would definitely build overall better-looking shoulders, you would be neglecting a, an mm. integral part of the shoulder. And so, aesthetically speaking, I would agree. You have oh, it's to. It's crucial for longevity, too, yep, for yep. function. Now, you mentioned the mods. I think our, our our shoulder mod is already out, if I'm not mistaken. That's where we actually design an entire workout that's just for shoulders. Yeah. And I think there's a few other ones on there as well. I'll, ma- I'll make sure to mention that at the end of this episode. Um, all right, let's talk about traps. I know we weren't going to initially talk about traps, but Doug made a good point that there's a lot of people out there that really want to develop nice traps. Um, Now, a lot of people think, oh, you just do shrugs. Just do shrugs. That's all you got to do for traps. I would agree. Shrugs has to be up there for traps. But I actually learned a very interesting lesson recently. Um, This is when we released Maps Strong, uh, which we wrote with uh, World's Strongest Man competitor, Robert Oberst. He was a huge fan of wide grip, high pulls. Now, he liked this because it it helped him with his competition. Mm -hmm. And Maps Strong is really an overall kind of functional type of program. It's not aesthetic-based. But the side effect I got from following that program was my traps really got developed from those high pulls. So I would have to say high pulls, for me, it's got to be one of the best exercises I've ever done for traps.
3: I I love that. That or it's right there to me with cleans. Those two movements are two movements, again, most of my training career – I was all I was doing was the different shrugs. It was you know pronated shrugs, supinated shrugs, neutral grip shrugs. It was Dumbbells, all, barbells. Yeah, machine. exactly. <laughs> that, I mean that's all I did. That was a bunch of different types of shrugs. That's all I knew to really do for uh, traps. And I would never thought that high pulls or cleans uh, would really develop that. And when I got into doing high pulls and cleans, man, it blew my upper back and my traps up. And that was for sure one of the best movements I could do.
2: Oh, yeah. Once you start focusing more on that fast twitch that, like, I'm, I am need to move this weight fast. And, and it's about acceleration. It's a different uh, exercise completely at that point. So, you know, the, the focus of it, uh, it, it tells the muscle to do something totally different, which is going to shock, you know, that muscle into into growth in a different direction. So it's it's definitely an effective exercise for the traps.
1: Now, what about farmer walks? There's one that I never did before. Absolutely. And I started doing them and I'm like wow look at this I'm actually load, developing
2: you can load farmer walks really heavy and you know that isometric contraction of just stabilizing the weight as you're walking I mean again this is another one that's going to
3: like isolate and totally obliterate the traps game changer too this reminds me of the the argument or the point I was trying to make with the deadlifts and I don't know if I was if I argued it very well or explained it very well but this is what I'm trying to explain is that that heavy loaded kind of isolation you know uh, process in, a, in an exercise man it's crazy what that does you know and i don't know if it's it's because of the cns or the ability to load it so heavy or what or the combination of the two but making sure that you have a movement or an exercise like that farmer walks were one that i also neglected to do started doing those and man i tell you what you you put and I bet there's a lot of people in here that are doing traps. So I'm glad Doug did make us do this because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are doing traps and they're probably focusing a lot on shrugs. They're just doing shrugs, there's nothing right. else. And if you really want to work and develop your traps, you got to get cleans, high pull, and farmer walks. Those three are probably three of the best things that you could add in there.
1: Totally. All right, let's move to the show muscle. Uh, and I, I refer to the bicep as. Yeah, the <laughs> bicep is the show <laughs> muscle because. Girls for the girls. If you're out in public and someone says, show me your muscle, you're not flexing your quad or your hamstring <laughs> or your pec. <laughs> you show them your bicep. So that's the, that's the muscle that everybody refers to when they say, show me your muscle. Yeah. So I have a controversial one. And I don't know why it's controversial. Actually, I do know why it's controversial because nobody ever really said this. But this is something I learned early on about biceps and that's that the biceps develop really, really well with compound movements just like any other muscle does. And yet every exercise we ever do for our biceps are isolation. Isolated, yeah. They're all single joint. If you do a, a supinated grip Chin up and really focus on using the biceps to pull yourself up, you will develop better, bigger biceps and more, faster than any other curl combination you can think I of. I love that you
2: brought that up because for
1: me it's always been a supporting
2: cast muscle. And and you know, in the bodybuilding community and you know, the aesthetic community, it's always been like the muscle that we're always training and trying to get, you know, size and, and get that to to really be pronounced. But for me, it's like it, and, and as a side effect, doing all those exercises like a like a supinated pull up, like it really does build and develop even deadlifts. Like I was building developing my bicep substantially. Yeah, I
1: learned this from a trainer that worked for me who was. Was a gymnast. And this if you've ever seen a gymnast who's high level and been training for a long time, they don't do a lot of bodybuilding exercises, but they have amazing bodies and especially biceps. Male gymnasts in particular have these really, really well developed biceps from all the chin ups and pull-ups and all ring the work. Gripping, everything. Yeah, and and I remember asking well what do you do for your biceps? And he goes, uh I don't know, chin ups, pull ups. Yeah. And I'm like, well those are back exercises. Exor- yeah. And I'm like, those are back exercises. What do you do for your biceps? And he goes, No, nah, when I do them, I get crazy Pump on my biceps, and I think to my, I thought to myself, like, well, yeah, it makes perfect sense because when we talk about other body parts, compound movements seem to work best. Why not try that for the biceps? Sure enough, I applied it. I used a supinated grip. I focused on curling the biceps on the way up, and it was just it was a game changer. It blew my arms up like nothing house. So
3: else. with that argument, I have the other end of the spectrum that I always like to include in any of these small muscle groups that we talk about, and that is something where it, it kind of fixes the body in a, in a locked position so you really can isolate and focus on the muscle, which is why I love to teach a preacher curl here. Mm. Uh, one of the most common mistakes that I see, I did a video uh, a, a long time ago on the YouTube channel uh, about the you know split stance bicep curl thing that I, I teach. And the reason why I teach that and that was such a staple exercise for me was because I found really early on when I would teach bicep curls, which was so weird to me that it has such a simple movement, but how many people... Cheat that exercise by rocking their shoulders or swinging their elbows when they do a movement. And when you do something like a, uh, a like the supinated chin up, I think if you really understand how to connect to the right muscle, it could be a huge, huge exercise. You have for, to be strong
1: too. Yeah, you have, yeah. and
3: you have to understand. And because naturally the back will want to kick in and really do a lot of the work because it's the bigger, stronger muscle, and that's what you're used to doing when you do pull ups. So when you do chin ups in the supinated grip for your biceps, you have to also be able to make that mental switch of what you're trying to accomplish in doing that, or else it could turn into still a majority of a back exercise and the secondary muscle is the bicep. So because of that, I find a preacher curl – a very important exercise when teaching someone or helping someone develop their bicep because what it does is it locks that shoulder in that position. It doesn't allow them to cheat the elbows pinned down on a pad. And so you can't help but only really work the bicep where it's really easy to include Uh, the shoulder when you are actually standing or doing any other type of a bicep movement. So the preacher curl staple. And
1: the preacher curl was, uh, they used to call those Scott curls. I don't know if you guys knew this. Larry Scott, the first Mr. Olympia, he had amazing arms, and everybody always asked him, how did you get such amazing arms? And he said, oh, I do these curls on this bench. And at the time, you know, it wasn't popular. They weren't everywhere. Nobody knew what they were. Um, And they called them the Scott curls. And Scott curls were literally... Preacher curls, so just a little little history for mm. you. Um, barbell curls got to be up there. You have to have barbell oh, curls. Course. It's a basic bicep exercise. You're standing, very functional, develops the arms really well. But Probably I'm gonna, load it the most, too. You can load it the most. But I'm going to mention one other exercise that a lot of people don't think is a phenomenal bicep exercise, and that's a hammer curl. Um, I love neutral grip curling. I think it's more functional than supinated grip curling. Mm-hmm. I like the way it develops – the forearm as well, and if you train it and you do it right, you talk about load, you actually can load more on a hammer curl than you can on a supinated curl, um, and I learned this, uh, the importance of this exercise uh, by watching arm wrestlers, and when you watch arm wrestlers and they work their biceps out a lot, a lot of them do hammer curls, and mainly it's because of the position of their hand, and if you see an arm wrestler's arm, they always have very well-developed forearms and biceps, and that's kind of where I got that from. Love the hammer curls, one of my favorite exercises. Okay, triceps. Let's go to triceps. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the tricep makes up two-thirds of the upper arm size and mass. If you're somebody trying to build nice-looking arms, and all you're focusing on, on is your biceps, which a lot, a lot of people of do, of that. you are missing out big time. You develop nice-looking tr- In fact, when you're standing relaxed with your arms at your side, and you're not actually flexing for people, it's the tricep that stands out. It's the tricep that makes the arm look sculpted. And shaped, and this is an exercise. This is also a muscle that's very important in aesthetic terms for women, especially female competitors. Is that back of that arm? What are some of your favorite tricep exercises? Close grip bench press for me, Mm -hmm. and
3: particularly I like incline. Although if you if you do it on a flat bench, fine. Both of those they're pretty equal. But another one of these movements that came later on in my career uh, didn't really piece it together. Uh, What a game changer that it could be for my triceps. And just blew my triceps up, uh, and it, I, it's a compound movement. You know, mm-hmm. it's a compound movement that I was able to load, uh, and it just it made a huge difference uh, on my triceps. So that has become something that wasn't in my routine. That now, if if I was telling somebody is a must or something that you have to include in your tricep training, I would say close grip bench press. I prefer incline, but incline or flat bench, I think is great. Oh, totally.
2: Yeah, I for functional like uh, just like the the pull up for the biceps. For me, the, it's always been you know dips for the triceps. Just oh, dips f- definitely. I mean, up you can't really beat the dips um, to really hammer out for for the triceps. Now uh, to to add weight to that and do you know the less rep sort of approach to that as well was a game changer for me. But even more so, if I was to talk functionally, uh, I fell in love with ring dips. And and I know this is like, you know, outside of a lot of people's thought process, because this is a very skill uh, type exercise where, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, a lot of moving parts have to work all simultaneously for to pull this off. And so there's a lot of um, stabilization elements to that, that, you know, has great Great crossover functionally for for all kinds of things for so the shoulder joint and uh, you know for the elbows, the wrists, everything else. Like you know to, to make sure that this exercise all uh, you know goes the way you want. Uh, it's one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's your, your parallel bar dips or your ring dips, both phenomenal exercises for your triceps and range here's, of motion. Here's that. why I like the ring dips though. Here's what happens with parallel bar dips. When you watch someone do dips on on bars they tend to not focus too hard on the lockout and the squeeze at the top. You can't do that with ring dips. With ring dips, you got to come up and you have to squeeze hard and stabilize. And it's that extra squeeze at the top that causes the triceps to develop really well. Um, Skull crushers have to be up there, right? Classic tricep extension exercise, lying on a bench, bringing the bar down to your forehead or just behind the forehead. I actually like to bring the bar down behind my head for greater range of motion. That's a favorite exercise. And uh, people do those. People do those a lot and they should. Because they're super effective.
3: And along the lines of the you mentioned with the neutral grip with uh, hammer curls for curls, I also prefer uh, d- the skull crushers with dumbbells. Yeah, same with, here. I, I just the mm-hmm. the range of motion I can get. Uh, you doesn't you, you can't uh, cheat one side or the other. It's easier to keep the elbow in a fixed position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love skull crushers done with dumbbells in a neutral grip. Uh, my favorite way to do those. I think it's a great a great muscle builder for the tricep. All right,
1: let's talk about uh, super popular muscle these days. Let's talk about the glutes, Ooh, yeah. the butt. Um, there is some controversy as to what the best exercises are. Here's a muscle that more often than not, I see people recommending stupid, silly, ineffective exercises. Right, yeah. More often than not, okay? So what you're not going to hear us say, are donkey kickbacks or, or- dog peas. Dog peas or, or a hip abduction or all these other or little band small- Band walks or- Yeah, no. Yes, you'll feel your glutes working squats. on those. They'll, they'll, they're they good priming movements. Um, so if you've heard us talk about priming, you can prime the glutes well, but they're not big glute developing exercises. For me, the king- Barbell squat. Done properly, barbell squats. Hands down. Got to be the best butt uh, developing exercise ever. And it's funny when I would have clients. Now, not everybody can squat well. So oftentimes I'd get a client and I'd have to get them to increase their mobility, Mm -hmm. improve the range of motion. But then once we could get to the point we could load the squat, it was funny. You'd watch their butt just change from week to week. And they would tell me too. They'd come in and be like, "Um, you know, my jeans aren't fitting as well. And I'd say, well, is your waist smaller? They'd say, "Well, my waist is still small. Actually, it's a little leaner." It's okay. It's your butt. Your butt's growing. Yeah, that's why your jeans aren't fitting.
3: Now, the only the only exercise that I think that we would we would argue that or is right there with it because I would agree too, that the squat is king. Although you could make a very good argument for hip thrust. Sure. Uh, you could definitely, and there's.
1: My, I think it's more of a straight glute direct. Yeah, exercise. like isolating the right, glutes.
3: Right, and I think that there's definitely a camp that would would say that it's superior than the squat. Um, I don't know if I would argue that it's superior. I definitely would argue that it, it is right up there. There's no doubt. It's one and two. We could d- argue all day long which one's one, which one's two. Uh, the for sure one of, if not both of those, have to be in your routine if glutes are the, the primary thing. Which is, is interesting
2: because this wasn't really that popular a while ago. This this had like a major resurgence. Uh, Brett Contreras. Yeah, Brett Contreras like popularized it. And uh yeah, th- this became almost now like you'll, you'll see this even more often times in the gym than you'll see people squatting. I know, right? Yeah, these days, which, mm-hmm. is, which is really fascinating. But it's definitely a valuable exercise to include for the glutes. It
1: is. You can load them both really well too. You get good at them, you can load them with a lot of weight. I've seen women uh, hip thrust as much as 250 and 300 pounds in the gym. So because you can load it so much, it's a functional foundational movement. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of development out of it. Now I have
3: one that is unique, and it was a, a, an exercise that you know, another one of these ones that later on in my career kind of pieced this together. And what I what I found was that a lot of people there don't have a good mind muscle connection to their glute med, right? That's the,
1: that's the glute part on the outside. Is what right, yeah,
3: and that's what gives you kind of that heart-shaped look or the ability for you to see a butt from the front, right? Somebody who's got de- good developed side. But from the front. That's right, good yeah. side butt developed. And what happens is, uh, you know, and this it probably stems all the way from their feet. They pronate a little bit. That pronation it, it causes the, the femur to internally rotate, which kind of shuts off the glute meat because the glute meat is responsible for external rotation of the femur. And because most people are kind of internally rotated there, they don't have a good connection there. So then when they go squat or hip thrust or do any of these other movements, sure they, they get they, they connect to the other two parts of your butt really well, but not so well on the glute meats. So when I would teach a wide stance sumo deadlift, man, did I see almost all the butts that I train blow up from that. And, and, th- and
1: the technique is so important, like drive the knees out. While right, you're yeah. and I
3: think that's why. I think when you do a, a wide stance sumo, you, you're supposed to get real wide, you're supposed to externally rotate the feet, right, and you're supposed to keep the knees lined up with your feet. So if you're opened up like that, that is forcing – that glute med already to be activated. And then you're doing a heavy compound lift, like a deadlift, which allows you to load it really heavy. And a lot of people can actually do more weight with a sumo deadlift than they can squat and sometimes hip thrust. So this becomes one of my favorite. And even though we were saying, and we I think we'd agree, that one and two would be the squat and hip thrust. This sometimes I lean towards this even more to show progress in someone's butt. Depends on the person, right? right?
1: But you got to really focus on keeping the knees apart while you're doing this. Because if you let the knees come in a little bit while you're doing this exercise, not going to be new. This is effective. also
3: one of the. It's one of the top videos that I did on YouTube, um, and I think it's titled something about side butt. But it's one of our top videos on our Mind Pump TV, uh, where I'm talking about developing the side butt. And this is the exercise that I go in and I explain in detail uh, the importance of how you do it. So this totally. is a must.
1: All right, so quads. Let's go to quads. For me, uh, front squats. Good old-fashioned barbell front squats, barbell yeah. across the front of my shoulders. I can use a cross grip like bodybuilder style or the clean uh, you know, grip that a lot of uh, lifters will use. really doesn't matter um, whichever one's more comfortable for you. Mm. Um, but the front-loaded, Front squat really focuses, it forces the body to be a little bit more upright. You're going to get more knee flexion and extension, meaning you're going to put more load on the knee area, which is where you're going to get more of that quad activation. This exercise for me has been a staple for decades. Um, I learned how to squat early on and as part of the my squatting my traditional barbell squat i did a lot of uh, front squats and those front squats man they made my quads develop uh, incredibly so i gotta have it up there i actually teach the front squat sometimes before i teach people how to do a back squat mm-hmm. now with really lightweight oftentimes i'll start them out with a like a broomstick, just to keep their posture, but it helps them stay upright, right? Teaches yeah, the grip stay is
2: interesting because I definitely agree. You know, you can do multiple forms of that, and the bodybuilder cross arm form. However, I like to keep that uh, that sort of a cleaned uh, position, that racked position, because you know, if I'm to work on any other sort of movement, like a, a power clean, or you know, anything where that's a transitional part of the exercise, that's I'm trying to make sure that I maintain that type of mobility in my wrists. So, so I do want to make sure that I can do that and load it heavy and, you know, go through that same exercise with that form.
3: The only reason why the front squat would not be number one for me is only because the other limiting factors, because not a lot of people can load it as as heavy. There, rarely ever do I see a, a front squat, the quads being the limiting factor for people normally people, just the limiting factor is the shoulder strength or shoulder mobility, the ability for them to hold that much weight up in front of them. So otherwise, I would agree that it's number one. So if you don't have those limiting factors and you can actually load it and it isn't the, 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 um, the shoulders that give before the quads do, then I think it is. But in my experience, um, it's not the quads that give. It's the shoulder strength or the upper body strength to hold the weight that causes the person to not be able to load more. So because of that, I love something like a Bulgarian split squat for a quad developer because you can either do a barbell on your back or you mm. could hold dumbbells and do the Bulgarian split squat. And now because you're doing single leg, it's like you can load it with half the weight and it's it's exactly what you would be doing with double the weight with both feet. And, and that's an
1: exercise that I used to never do. I used to never do Bulgarian split stance squats. And then I started, well, I did them here and there, but I never really did them. This isn't something that I didn't I did until relatively recently, um, and I would agree. Bulgarian split stand squats are one of the best exercises for overall leg development, but definitely for the quads. And by the way, there's a lot of crossover here. So, mm-hmm. you know, we mentioned the barbell back squat for the glutes. The barbell back squat is also a phenomenal quad exercise. Yeah. yeah. I, now I'm not thinking purely quad when I think barbell back squat, like I am with a front squat but it's still a phenomenal quad exercise. Agreed. Um, then there's the heel elevated squat varieties or versions, Like a hack squat. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a hack squat. Now, elevating the heels a little bit. Now, I remember back in the day, if you look at the like 70s, 80s, and 90s, if you had issues with squatting where your heels came off the floor, they would always put something underneath your heels, and that was okay. And then later on, we said, that's not okay. you got to learn how to have better ankle mobility. Well, now we're learning that they're both okay. Yes, mm-hmm. you want to have good ankle mobility – but when you do elevate your heels a little bit, because it's placing your weight forward a little bit more, you're going to hit your quads more. Mm-hmm. So heel elevated type squats, especially a hack squat, that will that will light your quads on fire. It's Great. one of my favorite exercises. Great movement. Uh, I know Ben Pakulski is a big fan of, of doing mm. those types of exercises. Yeah. In fact, I saw him do a workout with – Jordan shallow where they had their heels elevated. They I, was, I was
3: actually just reading a post that uh, the guy Eugene, I think it was Eugene Tao, is his is name that we brought up the other day, who we talked to, yeah, um, and talked about one of the, his posts. He brought up that hacks. He would argue the hacks quad is the best quad exercise, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue too much with him. I think it's right up there for sure.
2: Totally. Yeah, I know too a couple strength conditioning coaches that prefer, uh, not not just like a front loaded squat, but also a heel elevated front loaded squat, uh, in terms of like translation of field play. So, I mean, it, if I was out on, um, on the grass, like I'm, I'm a lot on my forefoot and I want to strengthen my feet, my ankle mobility as well. And so to, you know, to, to be able to load that and, and, and have that more strength in that movement, like, a, that, that translates the best.
1: Yes. All right. Hamstrings. Let's talk about Hamstrings. Hamstrings are very functional. It's a very, it's a very functional part of the body. Uh, aesthetically speaking, extremely important, especially for women, and extremely overlooked. Uh, totally overlooked. When you, if you talk, yeah, I
3: don't think you can overdevelop them either. In the competitive world, um, it's uh, it's like a secret. Not, a, I mean, if you're in the competitive world, you know this, but a lot of people don't. If you're not in it, is that. The number one like go to look spot for judges is hamstrings because they get neglected and it's such a big muscle and it brings the shape of the legs all together. I mean, and it's really easy because there's just it's hard to find a lot of really good exercises for your hamstrings. So we mm-hmm. tend to neglect them. It's just like oh, I just don't really know a lot to do for them, and so I don't really do them that much. They're in the back of your body, so we tend to do that with all muscles on the back side. We just we don't look at them as much, but. Man, what a neglected body part that really can bring your legs together.
1: Totally. Stiff-legged deadlifts, my favorite. My mm -hmm. favorite exercise, Romanian deadlift, stiff-legged deadlift. uh, Best exercise for hamstrings, hands down. When I first started working out, I did none of that. Uh, I did traditional deadlifts, but I never did the the stiff-legged variety. I did leg curls. and I remember... One day, uh, looking in the magazine, and, and I saw one of my favorite bodybuilders doing like a Romanian deadlift, mm-hmm. and I thought, "Let me give that a shot." And I felt it for days, and and ever since then, it's been my go-to hamstring exercise. And for years, in fact, after that, I did zero leg curls. Not saying leg curls aren't don't have their place, but I did none, and I've only ever done stiff-legged type deadlifts, and my hamstrings. Arguably, uh, are one of the better parts of my, of my legs. Yeah, it's like a direct
2: shot to the hamstrings. Oh yeah. Well, Russell love a good morning too. Yeah. i like, to oh, oh, load yeah. it on my back and fold. I mean, this is a more technical, you know, skill kind of exercise to master. But uh, when you when you get perfect mechanics with that, oh man, my boy. My that, and sport.
1: that exercise fell out of favor for for a while. Well, it like, just looks it looks sketchy. It does. You got a bar on your back. You're you're. you're but if you do it right, it's safe. But you're bar in the back and you're bending over with a bar in your back. Yeah. yeah. It looks bad. Uh In fact, you know. 15 years ago, you know, when I was training people, if if anybody did an exercise like that, I'm sure the gym would have you know, employees would have told them, stop doing. Oh, that I would have. So, I mean, yeah. I
3: was I was so unfamiliar with the movement as a young trainer. I, if I saw someone doing that, I would think they were fucking up a squat or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, that's what it's really- not how you do it, right? Yeah. But it, what a great exercise we have it in one of our programs. I mean, I think this oh, is a, yeah. yeah, this is an incredible staple movement for the hamstrings. Mm-hmm. And then I think you just have this. This is one that you have to do. I think lying leg curls. This is where an isolation exercise makes a lot of mm-hmm. a, a lot. Well, the of leg sense.
1: bicep is a part of the hamstring that that's specifically what it does is curls the leg, right? right. Um, if you you don't have a leg curl machine physio ball curls get a physio ball put your heels on it elevate your hips curl your legs i actually like that better than leg curls about many times
3: i do too because it, it forces you to elevate the hips yes. that's the key right mm. there mm. i mean and that's really clutch to really getting that that full range of motion on the hamstrings and there's just it's there's not a lot of positions where you you are in there and you'll see a lot of people that do uh lying leg curls and they kind of cheat cheat it up mm. and they arch their back when they do that where if you're lying on the ground and you're doing the lying leg curls on a ball and you have to keep your hips up it kind of doesn't allow you to cheat the same way you could on a machine
1: in fact if you're doing lying leg curls on a machine one of the greatest ways to feel your hamstring squeeze really hard is to activate your glutes and bring your uh, like you're you're emulating that that hip forward position yes but the leg leg curls on the physio ball automatically puts you in that position all right let's talk about calves uh, the the not so popular calves. Um, well, I think, you know, calf raises, you got to at least do standing and seated, right? Any kind of standing calf uh, raise is going to work the bulk of the calf muscle. But when you're seated, you work a smaller part of the calf muscle known as the soleus. So in my opinion, it doesn't make a big difference how you do your standing and seated calf raises, so long as your form is good, and you have full range of motion, but you should probably do at least one standing and one seated variety. Would you guys agree?
3: I would yeah. agree. And then the only other one that I, I feel like has to be in there, and I think it's because it puts the calf in a really good stretched position. Oh yeah. Ben Pekolsky talks about this a lot. Like normally the one of the limiting factors for people is is the training and the strength in the muscles end range of motion, right? And so, and you can see sometimes you see people on seated they kind of bounce, you know, they bounce their calves, or even on standing they kind of bounce in this little shortened range of motion where I love a donkey calf raise. A donkey calf Old raise, school, yeah, say. you're bent over, and it really it straightens out the leg. It, it stretches the calf, and so it takes to that calf to that fullest range of motion. Really tough to cheat the same way you could cheat a seated and a standed, standing uh, calf raise. So for me, the if, if I were to pick a third, because I agree, uh, seated and standing have to be there, and the variations, you can. there's all mm-hmm. types of different machines you can do that and body weight ways to do that, totally fine. I would include the uh, the donkey calf raise if your gym has it. I don't have a lot of
0: inclusions
2: with this, but even though uh, you have the biggest calf <laughs> yeah. in the room, in terms <laughs> of like function, I love you know uh, jump ropes for the power mm-hmm. element there. So just to you know th- to get that explosive type of response out of your calves. Uh, that's, why that's why my calves suck. I suck at <laughs> jump rope. I Bro, suck at Get rope. better at jumping. I that's have. You, it helps. I've
1: actually never met anybody that jump rope that did a lot of jump rope that didn't have uh relatively Think decent about looking it, calves. Right. Serious. It's a true story. Yeah. And the calves, I mean, that's what they do. They jump. They make you jump. jump. So it makes a lot of sense. We
2: also used to do, I mean, we do front loaded carries where we do marches. And I know that's like really uber functional for a lot of bodybuilders, (laughs) but it (laughs) definitely is a great exercise. Yeah,
1: Abs. Let's talk about abs now. That's another show muscle. Although people don't necessarily say, show me your muscle and we show them our abs. If somebody has a nice pair of looking abs, people tend to generally believe that they're fit. And they look good. Yeah. And I read a statistic the other day. I, I talked about this on another episode. It's like the standard. There's less people in America with a nice six-pack <laughs> than, than there are millionaires. I thought They're that was so crazy. That's how, hard, that's how rare it is to have a it nice six-pack. It shows six pack. you. You got to be fully committed. It is. Um, I like reverse crunches. Here's why I like reverse crunches. I think it takes the abs through a full range of motion, and it's harder to cheat. Mm. on a reverse crunch than it is on a forward crunch. In fact, it's one of the first exercises that I would teach clients, and it's also one that I have the most advanced people do. I just put them on an incline mm. so that there's some uh, you know resistance. It's that rotating the hips up position I love that 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 movement for the abs
3: love love that exercise I you know long lever crunches for me so or, or like your like full lever is what I call them full lever sit ups where you're you're completely lengthened on the ground arms out so a lot of resistance but, if you do it yeah right. no I, I I love that exercise now I I think in all of the exercises uh, for the abs I think the the one uh, important piece that I always try and coach to is is, is pressing the low back flat before you do any of these movements, whether it be a reverse crunch, the long lever, a regular crunch, anything that we're talking about right now. And that's just because we all tend to kind of be in this anterior pelvic tilt, which then naturally kicks – the hip flexors in to take over the movement. So, Good point. Yeah. Uh, even though all these movements we can argue, which this is better, the, the one that will be the best is the one that you have the ability to do that before you do the crunch or the movement. Otherwise, it's really tough to not allow the hip flexors because most people have hip flexor dominance, and so it's tough to not incorporate or use them a lot in the movement. So whichever exercise of these that we're talking about, that you have the ability to rotate the hips first... Before you do the crunch or the movement, I think is uh, very important.
2: Now, too, like one popular one, which is you know definitely a good exercise is the plank, uh, but specifically active plank. So the way that too that uh, on our YouTube and Sal describes this this rotating of the hip to really emphasize like that that abdominal contraction, I think is is a very valuable exercise for for the abs and to to make reps out of it instead of just holding it for an isometric.
3: It oh. wasn't until I met Sal did I teach the plank like that. I mean, we were taught the plank. Um, neutral spine. Neutral spine. Like and, you know, when you back to the point that I'm talking about with everybody having an anterior pelvic tilt, what tends to happen in a plank is that's still there and that puts direct stress on the low back and the hip flexors carry carry the, the load. They're the ones really holding. It, it's not really abs. But just simply cueing the client or the person that's doing this exercise to engage their glutes, so squeeze their butt, rotate their pelvis and keep it active while they're in that plank position. Now the core and the abs are really working, and that becomes an incredible exercise. And I also, I mean, I have to bring up
2: rotation. I mean, there's multiple functions. The, the abs are responsible for stabilizing the spine, and one is through rotation. And so to be able to load with like uh, you know, like a cable machine and to be able to do side chops and be able to stabilize, so to be able to keep your hips in a fixed position. So now, you know, maintaining that that fixed position, my my ground forces and to be able to rotate and then squeeze and contract you know the abs to to be able to produce that yeah, movement yeah. is is yeah. great
1: and then that's about core right that's yeah. about the bleaks that the also overall court the overall look of the midsection yeah i think that plank video that we did a long time ago has to be one of the more controversial ones because of that forward you know that that pelvic tilted position that we which is so we talk about it's one of our more popular videos on on youtube so also look we we have um lots of new programs that were coming out called mods. They're just focused on one body part. Now, we've only released three so far. Um, We have a shoulder mod, we have a butt mod, and I believe we have a back mod. So one for back, one for shoulders, one for butt. We have more coming out. So if you want to work on those body parts and specifically just those body parts, you can buy those programs and just work on those body parts and throw them into your current routine. You can also find a lot of free resources on our free resource page, uh, mindpumpfree.com, and you can find us all on Instagram. You can find Justin at mindpumpjustin, me at Mind Pump Sal, and Adam at mindpumpadam.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com.